0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Recently, tens of thousands of workers protested across the U.S., demanding a $15 per hour national minimum wage. Many of those workers say that even working full-time or more, they can't provide for their families. We're going to examine income inequality today on the program. Some commentators focus on the workers, saying that uh, they need to get additional education, which would help them move into higher-paying jobs, that increasing the minimum wage would just reduce the number of jobs available and increase prices the market sets the level others say that uh, our economic system unduly advantages the wealthy those people say they're looking for ways to reduce the income gap we're asking what do you think what's your situation tell us about your job your hopes and plans do you support a national minimum wage this is a hot topic right now on social media that's uh, what we're piggybacking on here And it's been in the news. Walmart recently announced that they're going to be looking into increasing their wages. There's that CEO in Seattle recently announced uh, that his workers will all receive $70,000 per year. And what about this idea of a living wage? If you're working full-time, shouldn't you be able to support your family? A lot to talk about here, and we're going to bring in, in studio, uh, William Schugart, who joins us again. He is Research Director of the Independent Institute and Jay Fish-Smith Professor in Public Choice at Utah State University. Professor, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, joining us. We're also joined by Ross Eisenbrae, who's Vice President at the Economic Policy Institute. Welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And a part of the mather is a resident uh, scholar in Economic Policy Studies at American Enterprise Institute. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me. Uh, so let me let me start with uh, Ross Eisenberg. Uh, what what do you think about these these protests and this idea that uh, that the minimum wage ought to be increased at least to a level where if you're working full time, uh, you ought to be able to support your family?
1: Well, I, I am completely in agreement with that. The uh, minimum wage used to be enough to support a family, and uh, you, I've listened to Senator. Elizabeth Warren tell the story of uh, her mother raising their family on a minimum wage job after her father died. And, and uh, you know, that, that ought to be the case now, that somebody with uh, a small family, at least, ought to be able to live outside of poverty. Uh, the minimum wage has lost value over uh, the years. In 1968, it peaked, and it's, about, uh, worth, it's worth 30% less than it was then, even though National productivity is increased. Uh, The education level of minimum wage workers is vastly better than it was in 1980 or in 1968. Uh, There's every reason to think that with an economy that's growing, productivity that's rising, a nation getting wealthier, that we ought to be able to pay minimum wage workers better than we did back then. And instead, uh, they're being paid much worse. So, uh, yes, the minimum wage should be increased a lot. And uh, maybe not to $15 an hour, but I'd say that $12 is a a minimum wage that could be paid anywhere in the country.
0: Mm. Part of Mather, what uh, what do you think? Uh, Minimum wage to $12? Do you think that's doable?
2: You know, I'm all for helping people in poverty. I think there are, uh, uh, you know, we are facing a tough time. These are tough economic conditions. People are out of jobs. And it it seems natural that we would be seeing these protests across the country where uh, you've seen wages stagnating at uh, or growing only at 2% or less annually. Uh, My my only concern with, uh, you know, it's not about, well, we shouldn't be doing enough to help people who are working full time. Of course, we need to be doing whatever we can to help people who are in poverty, who, who need to support their families. My, my only concern is that every time we, we discuss the minimum wages as a tool to help people in poverty, I feel like, uh, you know, we have enough evidence to show that increasing wages could, uh, could in fact, get you out of a job. I mean, you could lose employment. This is not, uh, there is new research, uh, new research papers coming out at the National Bureau of Economic Research, which suggests that, you know, uh, researchers who studied employment conditions in states that were bound by minimum wages before the new federal wage uh, went, minimum wage went into effect in 2008 and 2009, uh, they, they experienced negative employment. They, they experienced employment declines, particularly for low-skilled workers. And so my take has been that you know, we, we have minimum wages that, that are there to help people who are working full-time. We also have programs like the EITC that that uh, are federal government programs that have been tremendously successful at helping people get out of poverty. So we should look at these as a combination. We, we, we can't think of minimum wages as the only tool uh, that, that the government has to, to help people in poverty. We need to consider the EITC. And the good thing with the EITC is that we don't see the negative employment effects uh, that we see with minimum wages. Now, of course, you could argue that there are the people who retain their jobs on minimum wages, and, and let's say you increase it to twelve dollars an hour, you know they are going to be hugely benefited, and and uh, their families will be better off. But there are, you know, even the CBO study uh, that came out last year showed that when you increase minimum wages to something like nine, uh, you know, nine twenty-five or ten ten, there there is this possibility that about five hundred thousand workers or a million workers, uh, you know, could potentially lose jobs and so you know it worries me that we that we only focus on the income component you know what's going to happen if we increase the wages and everybody is is somehow better off and we don't talk enough about the employment aspects of it where we now have uh, you know very convincing evidence suggesting that there could be uh, job losses associated with higher wa- minimum wages so so i feel like we have better tools out there that that don't have the negative employment consequences and uh, uh, you know, we, we should be expanding the AITC. We we could be extending it to childless adults and, you know, the, the population that we think needs it rather than focusing all our energy on, uh, you know, raising minimum wages, which could ha- which could hurt people at the bottom much more.
1: I, I really couldn't disagree more. Okay, I, I think, go ahead, and then we'll
0: bring up Professor Shugart in. Okay.
1: The, the, the economic evidence uh, is that raising the minimum wage modestly has no negative job impact uh there you know it, it, it's just not true that there there are all sorts of new studies that show the opposite almost the great weight of the research in the last 10 years uh shows that minimum wage increases don't hurt job creation at all and the the real well, question is not should taxpayers be paying for people's wages through the EITC the the question is why aren't employers paying the wages that they used to pay? Why, what has changed in America? Why is it that the ratio of CEO pay to uh, the average worker's compensation is now almost 300 times, where it was only 30 times greater in 1980? The, the problem isn't that we're a poor country or that we're in hard economic times. We're a rich country. And the problem is that a trillion dollars or more has been shifted. From workers' wages into the pay of executives and the profits of corporations. Let me turn. That, to, that is the fundamental problem.
0: Let me turn to Professor Shugart here. That's an excellent question to throw, throw to you. Why why is that gap increasing? And and is that a good or bad or indifferent thing?
3: Uh, <clears throat> well, there are lots of reasons why the gap is increasing. One one in particular that I could mention is the decline in the quality of education that mo- most young people are receiving. A high school diploma in 2015 is worth much less than a high school diploma two generations ago. But I, w- I w- couldn't disagree more with the last uh, speaker. Uh, I mean, the idea that you know the w- workers' wages are determined by the value that they add to their workplace. And once we get away from letting the market determine what how much people earn, then we're in a w- arbitrary world where you know the minimum wage could be seven twenty-five, it could be twelve dollars, it could be fifteen. Why not a hundred? Uh, uh, and there are lots of adverse effects that are not seen uh, in uh, when people do studies of the effect of changing the minimum wage on on employment. What is Economists are supposed to focus on is the number of hours that people work at are are allowed to work at those uh, Different wages, and there's lots of evidence that when minimum wage goes up work hours get cut back Uh, workers make their employers make their workers work harder and they uh, may uh, in some cases take away some of their non-wage compensation uh the The fringe benefits of helping buy their uniform if they're required to use, wear it at the workplace uh, allowing them to buy food at the fast food restaurant at cost uh, uh, and general job job training that will, that is provided that will is valuable in any uh, position they take mm. later on. If you just
0: joined us, we're talking about income inequality. We're talking about uh, living wage and a proposal to increase the, uh, the federal minimum wage up to $15 an hour. That's what the demand of uh, workers across the U.S. Uh, across the summertime. And uh, we're talking with, you just heard there from William Shugart who is research director at an independent institute and J. Fish Smith professor of public choice at Utah State University. We're also talking with Ross Eisenbray, vice president with the Economic Policy Institute, and Aparna Mather, who is a resident scholar with the American Enterprise Institute. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. I want to bring in this uh, comment and question that we received uh, via email. Uh, this person says, uh, here's a question for your panel. If minimum wage workers all of a sudden uh, get a $15 per hour, get $15 per hour, they're all of a sudden earning more than many who went to college and received training in their careers, which most minimum wage jobs do not provide. How is it that a minimum wage earner should feel they can earn more in salary without the training and education that someone who's paid their dues to receive that education and uh, training? I sympathize and understand that minimum wage isn't a living wage. At least in the Intermountain West, a minimum wage job is not meant to be a salary type of income. You work at the job for a year or two and then move into something better, either by education or obtaining the experience that affords the higher salary. This, coming from someone whose income, though he has a bachelor's degree, qualifies his family for reduced school lunches. If I want a higher salary, shouldn't I put in the work and or education that will afford me that uh, higher salary? So that's uh, an anonymous uh, commenter via email to upraxis at gmail.com. Uh, Let me throw that uh, question first to uh, Parna Mathur with uh, AEI. What do you think of that
2: I absolutely agree with that. I think the idea that... uh, you know, we, we should somehow be raising wages with uh, without linking it to productivity increases, without linking it to actual experience, training, on-the-job effort. I think, uh, you know, then there is no end to how much we we believe we should be, you know, what the wage should be. And and as I said, there are many, many programs out there that are helping people on minimum wages. It's not just the minimum wage itself. It's the EITC kicks in once you start earning, once you have a certain level of income. Income, uh, you know, you, you are you you have all these programs that supplement your f- your family income, and uh, the the other issue I wanted to talk about was that there, there are, as I said, there are newer studies that are that I think have used more effective approaches at studying the effect of minimum wages on employment, and they also find that it's not just the fact that you probably uh, you know get unemployed, but if you even if you retain your jobs, the the likelihood that you will keep moving up the income ladder has gone down because. You know the employer is just not um, probably doesn 't have the resources to invest in your training, and so mobility seems to be affected as well, so I think we really do need to be concerned about uh, you know in principle, I think everybody everyone would agree that we need higher wages and income for people at the bottom, but we need to be very very careful about how we go about doing that
0: Let me uh, turn next uh, to um Ross Eisenberg uh, I want to uh, throw this uh, out at you this is from Bl- Bloomberg Businessweek the magazine they're talking about uh, the uh, article has the uh, clever uh, headline um, of uh, McDonald's low wages come with a 7 billion uh, dollar side of welfare and the article is talking about the fact that a lot of uh, low income wage earners uh, you know, can't make it on the wage, and so the government is 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 coming in, and uh, and here's this paragraph I wanted to read. The report calls out the fast food industry for its low wages, citing a median salary of eight dollars and sixty nine uh, cents an hour, and a history of offering part time work. That might have been fine when those behind the counter were mostly teenagers living at home. These days, though, 68 percent of fast food workers are single or married adults who aren't in school, and 26 percent are raising children. So they're they're indicating a, a shift. Used to be teenagers working, and then you'd move into other jobs. But but now, you know, um, breadwinners are working at these jobs.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them actually have a college education, like your. Um your caller alluded to uh and his his children are getting they qualify for uh free or reduced uh school lunches that's being paid for by the taxpayers uh, so that person with a college education isn't being paid enough by his employer to support his family by himself that's that is a real problem and and uh you you have um your, your Anna Purna, I guess her name is, uh, suggesting that we should be linking uh, to productivity increases. Well, the productivity of the economy over the last 30 years has increased uh, about eight times faster than the minimum wage. So, if we actually, or, or, or than then the increases in the average wage, and if we had linked the minimum wage to productivity, it would be over $18 an hour right now. So mm. yeah, well I mean I I would be you know that that's a wonderful idea but we don't do it it would help minimum wage workers if they did get uh rewarded for their productivity and uh, as you just suggested the the notion that taxpayers should be paying billions and billions of dollars uh in food stamps and EITC and and welfare supports for people who are working many of them full time for Companies like Walmart and other retailers, it, it's just wrong. Those companies have gigantic profits. What we need to do is find a way to get them to pay their workers fairly.
0: Uh, pardon me, Arthur. I know you wanted to respond.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, so of course, productivity increases have been happening in the economy, but we're, we're talking about these entry-level jobs, and, and the fact is that people get paid for you, you know their skills their values and a lot of these workers who come in uh, you know they they may have they, I, I think there's are still 50 percent who are under the age of 25 there are you know vast majority are uh, just sort of teenagers who are applying for these jobs this is not their primary means of uh, earning and, and I'm talking about their skill levels and and if they are highly skilled and it is a competitive market and there are employers out there who are willing to offer you higher wages absolutely you will not accept the minimum wage, but if but if you're if you are unskilled and you you are dependent on that first entry level job and you are, uh, you know, you, you want to take the first job that comes up because it's a stepping stone to maybe something better, then uh, you know, empl- the employer is you know you will you will not be that valuable to the employer at that job and so you will be paid a lower wage, but uh, you know the point is that these minimum wages are not meant to be your lifelong wages. You, you gain the experience, you work, and and there. There are studies that show that you people, you know, move on from these minimum wages jobs, and that's what we that's what we really care about: getting the skills, getting the education, getting, you know, using these as stepping stones to move up. Not, uh, not saying okay, you, you should be happy now because now we're making this wage job. Uh, yeah, this job sort of a higher wage job and so let's stay uh, at this level now for your life uh, for your lifetime because this is the this income will now afford you a living wage. I, I don't think that was how uh, minimum wages were originally intended and that's not how we want people to view them either.
0: You know, we have a comment uh, here on, by email, upraccess@gmail.com, upraccess@gmail.com. You can email us as well. Uh, the commenter says, a minimum wage was never meant to be a living wage for a family. Why is there that expectation now? Professor uh, Shugart. Uh,
3: that's correct. Uh, it was meant to be, uh, uh, be uh, a minimum entry-level wage for young people uh, just coming into the workforce just getting out of college or, or high school or maybe in the summer uh, and uh, but it's one one reason that's uh, pe- people have been talking about is the definition of poverty has changed dramatically over this since the new deal when minimum wages first came in uh, and what what The problem is that, uh, uh, with minimum wage, is that it uh, prices a lot of people out of jobs. And the people that price out of jobs the most are young, unskilled, less educated minority people uh, and help uh, minimum wage uh, today and over, over time, uh, it helps explain why the unemployment rates amongst those, that group of people are so high uh, mm. relative to the rest of the population. Let me just follow that's, up with
0: that's that. That's
1: actually a false history, lesson. Okay, go, go ahead. Uh, uh, the, the, real, the, the history of the minimum wages, and you can read the president's statements, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, who got the minimum wage passed. He said it should be a living wage and that no employer should be allowed to exist that didn't pay people a decent wage. The the people who were singled out in the hearings in 1938, 1937 and 1938, were women factory workers who were making 10 cents an hour and were basically starving. They they were not teenagers, they were uh, parents. And and the reality today is that the average person who would benefit from what the president proposed as the minimum wage increase to $10.10 is 36 years old. That's the average age of the people who would benefit. Only 11% of them are teenagers, 37% are 40 or older, and 28% of them already have children. So the notion that this is you know, some summer job is just wrong. Hmm.
3: Professor Shugart, what's your response? Uh, well, the, uh, if you raise the name of FDR, I have to tell you that, uh, I mean, uh, people that have studied the New Deal, including myself, studied the labor legislation that was put in place during the New Deal, uh, uh, find uh, that the minimum wage, uh, giving more uh, uh, power to human uh, union, labor unions to collectively bargain with their employers, was one of the key factors in explaining why the Great Depression lasted so long in the United States and why it was so severe. Uh, so uh, you know, the problem is once, once you get away from allowing the market to determine what your wage is, then who, who are you gonna rely on? You're gonna rely on politicians to pick a number out of a hat? And what are the consequences of, of uh, you know getting, getting the number wrong?
0: Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have uh, more of this discussion. It's a hot topic right now on uh, social media, at least the the pages that we've been reading, and a lot of back and forth on this. Uh, There's the market forces argument, and then there's a lot of emotion involved here as well. There's an interesting uh, study. We'll talk about this as we come back. Uh, This is in Salon.com, but they're quoting Scientific America in a study where they uh, tested Americans' perceptions of the income gap and uh, this quote provocative quote from uh, chris rock talking with frank rich he said uh, people don't even know talking about that gap if poor people knew how rich rich people are there'd be riots in the streets and these uh, studies found that uh, that people generally didn't know it's uh, the income inequality is 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 uh, greater than people thought we'll talk about that part piece of the uh, puzzle as well and we want to hear your story what uh, what are you living on what kind of job are you working and uh, do you support a national minimum wage? Um, what about this idea of living wage? If you're working full-time, you ought to be able to support your family. What about these uh, minimum wages? Is, is that uh, only for entry level? Should it go back to that? And is that possible? All these questions, you can uh, reach us at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495, or upracess at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. More following the break.
3: Hi, it's Lynn Rossetto casper This week on The Splendid Table, we have the poignant story of Nikolai Vavilov, a botanist who collected more seeds than any other person in history and who ended his days in Stalin's gulag. That's The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from APN. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Congratulations to graduates at Utah State University Regional Campuses, including Brigham City, Towilla, USU Basin, Richfield, and Moab. UPR congratulates all graduates at USU Regional Campuses on their accomplishments and wishes them all the best. It's delicate with an undercurrent of aggression. It's vivid light and creeping shadow. It's a look back and the very definition of avant-garde. Beethoven's Symphony No. 4, Music of Glorious Contradictions, on the way from a recent concert in Warsaw, Poland, on the next Performance Today from APM.
3: Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for joining us for Axis Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about income inequality, living wage, minimum wage, and uh, we're responding to a hot trending topic on social media. We've been reading a lot of comments back and forth on this topic, and this comes on the heels of uh, workers protesting around the U.S. this summer, uh, demanding uh, $15 per hour minimum national wage. And uh, so we have with us to discuss this Aparna Mather from the American Enterprise Institute, Ross Eisenbray, who's with the Economic Policy Institute, and William Shugart, who is research director at the Independent Institute. He's also uh, with Utah State University. And before we uh, jump in to this idea of income inequality, wealth distribution, we do have a caller. And uh, let's. Get this. Okay, this is an anonymous caller from Northern Utah. Go ahead. Glad you called.
4: Hi. Um- I live in Utah, and I have seen the minimum wage rise here. I was wondering how they plan on counteracting when minimum wages rise. The only thing it affects is everything goes up in price. Everyone's making more money all of a sudden, so now let's raise the price of utilities, raise the price of food, raise the price of everything. So raising minimum wage doesn't really do a whole lot in the long run.
0: Hmm. Okay. Let me, let me point that to Ross Eisenberg. What, uh, if you raise the minimum wage, uh, prices go up, and then you're just, you're just uh, kind of stuck where you were.
1: Well, what if you, you raise the minimum wage, uh, let's say 10%, and the workers' uh, wages are, uh, let's say, 10% of the cost of the product, then the actual impact on the price of the product is 1%. And that's not much inflation. And nationally, we don't have an inflation problem. In fact, for the last couple of years, we've been flirting with deflation. So, uh, you know, that sort of a price increase would be no problem at all. And in in the late 90s, the last time that we had strong across the board real wage growth, that is wages rising significantly faster than uh, inflation, was after the 1996-97 uh, minimum wage increases. So I, I think the history shows that inflation is not a worry. That our current economic conditions are that we are more worried about deflation than inflation. And, and the price increases that come from a minimum wage increase are so small anyway that it really is insignificant.
0: Let me turn to, before we go to our next caller, the number, by the way, is one eight hundred eight 826 We're talking about income inequality, wealth distribution, uh, minimum wage uh, related issues. Uh, so I wanna, wanna get a response from, I bring back in Aparna Mathur from AEI. What do, what do you say to this idea of, uh, that, that our anonymous caller brought up?
2: <clears throat> yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that if you, uh, you know, because look at the, the industries or the uh, sectors that are going to be affected. The, so, so it's firms like Walmart. It's uh, you know, it's places like McDonald's, fast food retailers. These are the places that are going to be the most affected if we actually went for the $15 per hour minimum wage. And these mainly cater, uh, you know, uh, to a lot of low-income people. And so, this is absolutely an argument that that holds that if you raise minimum wages on the one hand it's not absolutely clear that the benefits are going to low income workers because some of them may lose their jobs but the costs are certainly going to affect uh, low income households because they are the ones who are going to face these price increases and it's uh, you know it's all very well to talk about sort of national um, you know, increases in uh, prices at the national level and what's happening to inflation. But the, but the truth is that people are affected by the by the day to day expenditures that they have to make by you know on food, on on clothing and and Walmart and uh, McDonald's are the places that typically cater to to the, to the kind of expenditures that a lot of low income households make. And so it's you know I, I don't think it's wrong to assume that a lot of the burden of these price increases will be borne by low income households. And we and we need to factor that in as well.
0: Let me go to our next caller, Sam in Richmond, I believe, if I got that right. Uh, Sam, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment.
4: Yeah, hey, sure do. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I think your, your, all of your guests are focusing on it either has to be this or it has to be that. And if you look back into the 1980s when the tax codes, not rate structure, but the codes started changing, uh, you'll see that. Uh, The incentive for reinvesting in industry and keeping good jobs going in the United States uh, changed drastically. And so you have people, uh, I'm 58 years old. As I travel around the country, I travel extensively. I meet people my age who have been downsized, who are having to take jobs at McDonald's and delivering pizzas for Domino's. And And they're trying to support a family on those jobs. So what we have now is government subsidies in the form of SNAP and temporary assistance to families subsidizing businesses. And so my point is if you raise the minimum wage, you will increase the velocity of money. And by increasing the velocity of money, you you will improve our stagnated economy. But we also need a change in the tax code so that when I exercised the stock options, which I got from a company I worked for, and sold those, that should have been taxed as income and not as capital gain. And those stock options should not have been deductible by the company who was awarding them to me. Uh, They should have been taxed as profit also. In that way, you incentivize money going back into companies and providing the infrastructure necessary for good-paying jobs.
0: Interesting. Uh, Thanks, Sam. Let me turn to uh, Bill Shugart first. What do you think of his plan?
3: Uh, I don't like it. Okay. Uh, You wouldn't have expected me to. Uh, I'd like to go back and correct an error in a previous commenter. Uh, Labor share of national income is about two-thirds, and... uh, Uh, the wage bill for most employers is the single largest chunk of their uh, cost in in a given year. So it's possible that raising the minimum wage would have a a bigger uh, effect on uh, uh, than the previous uh, uh, commenter mentioned, but uh, as uh, we've just heard, Lots of these jobs are in very competitive industries, like fast food, uh, retailing, and uh, things like that. And uh, uh, individual firms in those kinds of industries, uh, even if they're big, uh, cannot pass through uh, cost increases to their customers in the form of higher higher prices. Mm That just doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. They'll lose their customers. and so where, where, where that uh, uh, would come from would be out of the profits uh, 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 of the employer, which would chill investment, which would chill uh, expansion, which would chill uh, uh, being able to expand and hire more people
0: let me turn to ross Eisenberg with the economic policy institute what do you think of uh, sam's uh, plan he says he, he's in favor of raising minimum wage he's saying contemporaries who are, who are uh, having to work at minimum wage jobs but he also wants to change the tax code
1: well the changing the tax code i think is uh very important in this uh conversation because ceo compensation since the, the 1980s as he suggested uh, there were big tax changes one of the most important was Uh, as he says, reducing the capital gains tax. And CEO pay became linked because of uh, various corporate um, uh, payment schemes. It it became linked to stock options and to the stock value of a company. So what's happened is uh, there's been a personal incentive for executives to keep pay low for their, their employees and to have the stock value of the company increase as fast as possible. Uh, because, you know, they get the value of that. They get the stock options. They cash them in. As the stock goes up, their their, uh, their own pay increases tremendously. So from 1978 to 2013, CEO pay, after inflation adjustment, increased 937%. And, you know, that is uh, that's more than double the stock market growth over that period. This is where... Wages are going. They're not, they're not available for workers because it's all going into profit and executive pay. Over that same period, the, um, there was 10% growth in the typical workers' compensation, 10% for the typical worker versus 937% for CEOs. That is the fundamental problem, and having a tax code that taxed all that income as we used to would have prevented employers from ever paying it in the first place. You know, we once had a 91% top marginal tax rate. Even in 1980, we had a 70% top marginal tax rate. And if we still had rates close to that, employers wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't want to give more than half of every dollar of compensation to the federal government. They wouldn't be paying executives these really extravagant salaries.
0: I want to return to this, uh, that uh, you know uh, income disparity. It's an interesting point, and it gets a very emotional one as well, as well as a, kind of the, the cold facts. But uh, here's a, an email from Steve. Just to let you know, I'll come first for response to Aparna a Mather on this, but I'll give everyone a, a chance to respond. This is what Steve says. I'm so glad you have one guest on the program who truly understands the economics of the minimum wage, but he has a touchy fight ahead of him during the hour as you have two guests who seem not to... Uh, you, you see why I'm giving everybody heads up that they'll get a chance to respond. He goes on, uh, despite what the professor and American Enterprise Institute representative want your listeners to believe, the fact is, as your third guest has explained, that the unbiased economic analyses overwhelmingly show that raising the minimum wage has virtually no negative effect on employment. Why? The reasons are many and complex, but a principal one among them is that people, unlike pork bellies or wheat futures, are not fungible commodities, and consequently employment and wages show what economists call stickiness employers hold on to people they don't fire them at the drop of a hat in the way that they would trade one wheat contract for another as nobel prize-winning economist paul krugman has written quote the great preponderance of the evidence points to little if any negative effect of minimum wage increases on employment and then he gives a link to a new york times article with uh, with krugman so um i'll I'll go first as i said to a partner mather what do you think of this
2: you know, I wish that were true. I really, I feel like every time uh, you know economists or politicians read the minimum wage literature, we we all, there's always some bias in the way it's read and the way it's presented. But uh, I don't think uh, you know if you actually polled economists today, I don't think anybody would argue that. Having a higher minimum wage results and higher employment. At best, you could, you know, some you, you could probably find random papers suggesting that there are no effects on employment. But the vast majority does suggest, and I, and I can quote you a recent uh, paper that just came out in December 2014, which I think is the best sort of research paper out there in terms of methodology and um, uh, you know the the way it's been uh, conducted. But but they they absolutely do find uh, reductions. In, in employment as a result of higher minimum wages or higher fed, federal mandated minimum wages across states in the U.S. So, you know, it, it's not, um, uh, and it's not, I mean, the intuition is obvious. I mean, you're, you're raising costs for employers, and while for some employers it's, it's true that they are likely to be able to absorb those costs depending on how many workers Uh, are affected by the wage increases. There are many employers who are not going to be able to shoulder these increases. Uh, You know, just saying that now everybody needs to be paid uh, uh, sort of $2 more or $3 more per hour that they're working for you. I think that is a, an increase in cost for many small employers. And so to assume that somehow you know, every employer has the ability to absorb those costs and uh, none of that will show up in less hours worked or, or fewer employment opportunities or ability to move up the income ladder, I think is just wrong. And uh, you know, there is really no evidence to support that.
0: Let
3: me turn to Bill Schuurt next. What do you what do you think of Steve's comments? Well, uh, I, I, again, if we're going to debate about the economics literature what the studies find, I will remind you that I said at the beginning of the program that the problem with most of the studies that looks like looks at total employment rather than hours worked, and which is where uh, the bite really happens. Moving somebody from uh, forty hour, forty hours a week at seven twenty five to maybe 30 hours a week at $12 an hour uh, and also reducing non-wage benefits that the employer provides in order to be able to afford to pay the higher cash wage be- benefits. Uh, you know, there, uh, the min- minimum wage is only one, one part of the problem. There, uh, as discussion has gone on, I mean, there are lots of things that explain these macroeconomic phenomenon. Uh, of uh uh changes in income distribution changes in uh the uh gap between pay of the high pay of the highest paid workers CEOs or whoever uh to the l- lowest paid uh and there are you know the elephant in the room here are policies like uh affordable care act uh which uh, uh, imposed increased cost of of labor considerably and will continue to do so in the future. There's uncertainty about the uh, economic policies, macroeconomic policies uh, that uh, make business people hesitant to hire people in the first place to expand their plants because they, they don't know what's coming down the road in terms of taxes, monetary policy, and uh, other uh, programs that Washington's, uh, uh, that we the taxpayers pay for. Mm-hmm.
0: Ross Eisenberg, I want to have you uh, give it have a chance to uh, respond to to what Steve is is uh, saying. He's Steve's essentially agreeing with you.
1: Well, Steve Steve has obviously read the economic literature and and uh, knows that the vast literature recently says not only is there no effect on employment or hours but that uh, there are actually studies that suggest because uh workers have more money in their pockets they'll spend more and it actually increases uh employment it helps the the local economy uh, I think that that in fact the you know the the vast preponderance says there's little or no effect hmm. there are some studies that actually do say it would be a positive effect on employment but the key things to remember are that when you've got a minimum wage that has not kept up with inflation, that is so much worth so much less than it was in 1968, you have to think employers are underpaying their workers. They're not paying them what they're worth. They're getting away either because of high uh, unemployment or uh, the workers' uh, you know fears that they can't get a better job. They're getting away with paying people much less than they're worth. And so raising the minimum wage and making them pay something closer to their actual worth and contribution to the employer isn't going to hurt the employer. And then finally, you have the fact that everybody has to pay the minimum wage. That's the the beauty of it. It's a floor that all employers have to pay. So the argument that these are competitive industries and they'll be hurt, well, they all have the same effect. They all will have to pay the minimum wage. They're competing with each other. None will be hurt by it because, you know, all of them have the have the same impact from it. So, I I I very much agree with your caller.
0: Uh, Just to reestablish what we're doing here, we're talking about uh, a proposal for a uh, back to demand. Uh, Workers uh, went out, uh, not a strike, but went to the streets uh, to demand a federal minimum wage increase to $15 an hour. We saw that in the news, of course. And uh, it's on the heels of Walmart um, talking about increasing uh, wages for their workers. There's that CEO in Seattle who announced that for all of his workers, they're going to get a salary of $70,000 a year. Is coming also after polls, which show that people underestimate the wealth gap. And uh, Chris Rock says if people poor people knew how rich, rich people were. they go to the streets. I don't know if I agree with that, but there there is angst out there about that disparity. The number is 1-800-826-1495, one 826 1495 or you can join us at upraccess at gmail.com, Upraccess at uh, gmail.com. Uh, uh, let me uh, fit this. We're coming uh, near the end of the program. I want to give our panel a chance for uh, closing comments here. Excuse me, but I want to fit this email in, uh, kind of uh, lengthy, so I'll sort of scan through this, but this is Kathleen, um, who says, um, first I was making $15 an hour in the early 1990s, but then globalization and uh, DWTA came into being, and the marketplace of labor went to global with uh, so many firms, I saw this as a profit-grabbing situation to pay people less to move out of the U.S., Uh, We're repeating the early 1900s when profit was God, not people. We all know that uh, the more people who make a middle-class income, the more stable a nation is, with less reason for corruption and emotional distress. It is having a middle class and wanting to share wealth and opportunity that made the U.S. able to... uh, so strongly, to be so strong, especially in World War II. Conversation occurring in the radio has this fantasy aspect to it. How many of your guests have any connection to finding a job in the competition for work as population has increased with automation occurring and jobs for people becoming limited? Why don't you have people who are earning a low wage on with these privileged guests? And uh, she goes on, but I think she, uh, I think well states this idea, this angst, and I'll, I'll direct this first to Bill Shugart. Uh, that we're losing the middle class. The middle class is is very important.
3: It is very important, uh, uh, but if you look at surveys, everybody, every, almost everybody, will says they're in the middle class, and I, so I don't know what that means. Does it mean the median income household? Does it mean uh, uh, within some range of that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the <clears throat> Problem with the minimum wage is uh, that one of one of one of the people on this panel don't don't think that the law of demand applies to workers. That uh, you know we can arbitrarily set wages at any level we want, and employers will have to hold hold on to those workers. But as the cost of labor goes up, and I doubt that the minimum wage played a big role in this, but I mean, have you? when was the last time you went to the grocery store or, or went to a, a, a big box store and were actually able to found, find a cashier at, at the checkout line? Uh, peop, uh, ca- capital is being substituted for labor uh, because of the increase in the cost of labor uh, to em- employers, and so now we have you have to check out yourself, uh, and that an increase in the minimum wage would add to that problem. Uh, as uh, you know, uh, check uh, self-service checkout lanes replace actually human beings uh, to scan your items and put them in a bag for you.
0: Hmm. Let me go next to uh, Ross Eisenberg's uh, response to what Professor Schugart said, and then I want to have you talk about this idea of, uh, of a, a disappearing middle class. <laughs>
1: Well, we've, you know, we've had increasing technology uh, since the dawn of time. Uh, you know, we used to make cars by hand, and we've had machines making them for decades. And uh, employment is less in the auto industry, but we've gone through periods of unemployment as low as 3.8 percent at the uh, at the end of the 20th century. So there there is no uh, automatic link. It's just a, and and he should know this that the lump of labor fallacy is something that every economist knows is a fallacy, that, that increasing technology is not going to do away with jobs. We will have jobs. The problem is, what are they going to pay? And the middle class really has been hurt. We have uh, the middle 60% of, of people by income, of households by income. We can all agree, I think, are the middle of the middle, the middle Americans. And if their, if their income had increased with the average growth of the economy over that period, they would, each household would have $18,000 more since 1980. If they'd kept up with the growth of the entire economy, if their wages hadn't been stagnant and their incomes had risen along with the growth of the economy, the average household would have $18,000 more. That's more than a trillion dollars a year that has been shifted From the middle class, it hasn't gone to the poor. They're poorer than they were. It's gone to CEO pay and profits. And that is the fundamental problem that we have. Wage inequality, CEOs and executives are making tremendous amounts of money, 300 times what the average worker is making. And it, it doesn't leave anything for the middle class.
0: We just have a couple minutes left. I want to get some closing statements. Start with Aparna Mather, but I'll give you a chance to to respond to anything you've heard here and then a brief closing statement.
2: Sure. You know, I, I agree that income inequality has been growing over time. You know, there's no denying the data. We have seen incomes at the very top uh, increase tremendously by 200 percent, according to the CBO, since 1970s uh, to today. And at the same time, the bottom and the middle have, uh, you know, not kept up, that much and and we do need to worry about that and we do need to ask why that is happening and i think a lot of that has to do with skills it has to do with uh, you know globalization the fact that we are now in a competitive global market where firms have the choice to you know recruit workers from all over the world essentially and and that is definitely having an effect on labor markets in the u.s so we have you know we we need more training we need uh, our workers to get skilled we need uh, to provide the right opportunities uh, for people at the low end especially to to move up the income ladder and we ha- and, and there are lots of good policies out there to do that as i said the eitc is a very effective federal program that, that has been successful at helping people uh, move up the income ladder, helping people get jobs and stay employed, um, But uh, which is why we, we, we are now at the point where we need to decide which policies are working and which ones are not. And if the minimum wage is something, uh, you know, forget the academic research. If you trust an agency like the CBO, the CBO itself is saying that there is a huge likelihood that, of course, people will benefit from minimum wages, but a lot of people will lose jobs so why why focus on that uh, so we need skill upgradation we need uh, you know people students and college to get the right skills maybe through apprenticeship programs to training programs to, so that they have the right uh, skills and uh, uh, that, that employers require in, in a globalized and highly technical world today and uh, we need to Put in place the most efficient, the most effective uh, federal programs and policies uh, that have been shown to work that encourage labor force participation so that we can actually help people in the middle, help people at the bottom. And I think this focus on just what's happening at the top and, oh, look, uh, you know, this CEO is earning uh, so many millions or billions of dollars. I think that's sort of counterproductive. Yes, there's a limit to uh, how much that would translate to policy in terms of taxes. But, uh, but we can do a lot more at the bottom and the middle, and I think that's where we need to be focusing on.
0: We just have about a minute left, so uh, 30 seconds to uh, Bill Shugart. What, what do you say at the end here? Well,
3: uh, as I said before, I mean, we have many broader problems in this economy than just the pay uh, minimum, federal minimum wage. Uh, there are lots of subsidies to lots of companies, lots of activities, and I would mention that the EITC, the Earned Income Tax cre- Credit, is the most, one of the most abused parts of the federal tax code. There are lots of people, uh, in fact, the IRS, if you submit a tax return with and claim an EITC uh, tax credit, you're more likely to be audited because there's a lot of fraud going on, people claiming uh, that credit that don't actually uh, uh, qualify for it. Uh, But uh, my final comment is, I mean, the minimum wage is just one example of government intervention into the private economy. And I would like to get rid of all systems of preference and restraint and and, and get back to uh, 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 lower tax, less regulation, uh, freer economy, so that people who uh, have the skills and have the uh, 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 incentive to acquire the skills that they need to get a good job can do so.
0: And uh, we'll give the last word to, to Ross Eisenberg, 30 seconds.
1: I think that blaming the workers and saying that they don't have enough skills when mm-hmm. uh, CEOs are walking off with uh, giant pay packages uh, just misses the boat entirely. And uh, Aparna says that CB, she keeps turning to CBO. Their report said 50 times as many workers would get a wage increase as would lose a job. So if that's her her um,
2: but there is defense for
1: for the opposition to the minimum wage, it's kind of crazy. Um, 30 million, 25 million people would get an increase only a half a million, and one million workers could lose a, lose a job.
0: job. Well, we'll leave it there. Obviously, the uh, the uh, discussion will continue. It can continue at upr.org. Hope it will. And you can uh, continue discussion on our uh, email, upraxis at gmail.com. We thank partner mather with the American Enterprise Institute. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And uh, Ross Eisenberg with uh, the Economic Policy Institute. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And uh, Bill Shugart with the uh, USU Huntsman School and Independent Institute. Thanks. Thank you. And thanks for listening. Hope you join us again tomorrow.
3: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Dining Services, providing opportunities for the USU campus community to gather, enjoy food, and create a college experience. And thank you for listening to Access Utah today on Utah Public Radio, a service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. Time now, 10 o'clock.